Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my co-host, Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Please rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 61. Today we spoke to Alan Stein Jr., published author of Raise Your Game, keynote speaker and former high-performance consultant to some of the best NBA players on the planet. What sports can pull from business and vice versa is at the core of this interview. Alan opens up on processes and methodologies of both places. It follows on nicely from our previous shows with David Gillick and Bernard Jackman. Give both a listen if you haven't yet. Kiran, Alan and I have a great conversation about time and attention, immersing yourself in the present moment. In essence, be where your feet are. Key themes such as accountability, embracing discomfort and presentness are elaborated on. This one was so insightful and very enjoyable. Thank you, Alan. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. I'm sitting here beside David, and we're joined by a great man, Alan Stein Jr., and I'll pass you over to David to introduce. So where could we start with Alan? Well, he's very much the best-selling author, having published Raise Your Game, and actually was kind enough to post it all the way over to Ireland. I'm very grateful for that. He's a very successful speaker, speaking in a variety of different high-performance and also corporate environments and also a former basketball high-performance coach, having worked with a variety of the best of the best NBA athletes-wise. So really, really um, fortunate and looking forward to hearing all about high-performance from you today, Alan. So tell the two of us what's what's ticking in your life these days. Well, it's it's awesome to connect with you guys. I'm, I'm always – it never ceases to amaze me how cool – just the social and digital world is now that that you're all the way across the pond in a completely different time zone. And here, I feel like we're sitting in the same room having a pretty cool conversation and uh, met through social and all of that good stuff. So uh, I'm just, I'm thankful to to chat with you all and hopefully share some stuff that your audience finds helpful. Absolutely. So you've, you've had quite a successful career to date. It's fair to say that. Tell us a little bit about how you kind of got into this space and how you are now known worldly renowned as as a leader for distilling high performance secrets to people such as us and people that you touch. So where did it all kind of start? Well, if we go all the way back to the beginning, I can I can say with great clarity that basketball was my first identifiable passion. And I remember falling in love with the game at four or five years old, whenever my parents signed me up for my first team. And here four decades later, I'm in my mid forties and basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And you know, I was able to play as long as I could as a player up through college, um, but then decided that I still wanted basketball to be uh, a major aspect of my life. So I decided to go into performance training and strength and conditioning because uh, that was a newfound love of mine as a player and thought that if I could combine my old love of basketball with my new love of performance training and marry those two things together, it would just be the greatest job in the world. And it certainly was that for 15 years and I learned a lot and had some amazing experiences. Uh, but after that, I was I was ready for a change and to do something different. So I decided to make the leap over to the corporate space 
and share all of the lessons and mindsets and strategies and principles that I'd learned. And I now share those with folks in a variety of different capacities. So uh, the main common thread through all of that is I follow my passion and I follow my heart and I, I go where I believe I can be of best service to others. Fantastic. So I'd like to jump right in and ask a question about you You work in, in business now and you've had such a storied career in sport. What can um, the world of business pass on to the world of sports? So flipping the, the coin a little bit, most people want to know how uh, our sport informs business. How does business inform the sporting world? Well, I love that you brought that up because it's one of the things that I constantly go back and tell coaches. As you just said so insightfully, it's long been known that businesses have brought in former athletes and former coaches and former people from the military to come in and talk about leadership. You know, that's been going on for as long as I've been alive, but it's much rarer that sports teams ask folks from the business world to come in and share what they do. And that's why uh, I love that you brought that up. What I've noticed, probably the biggest thing that sports could pull from business, and some already do, and the ones that do are the most successful sports organizations there are, is business tends to measure everything. Uh, they figure out what are the metrics that we need to measure to see if we're progressing and if we're, we're hitting our goals and we're doing what we need to do. And they measure everything. And then they base everything around getting better in those specific key areas. And that's one thing that I think sport could do a better job of. Uh, now, analytics have come a long way in sport, and there are more teams using those numbers. But I just love how business emphasizes and says, look, we're going to set these sales projections. Here's our most qualified prospects. Here's how many calls we have to make to get this number of prospects in the door. Here's what percentage rate we close at. So here's how many people we need to reach if we want to reach these goals. And and I just, I like how process oriented and and uh, methodical that approach approach is, and I think sports could learn a lot from that. Excellent, absolutely. You know, I've watched a couple of your your videos on Vimeo and things of that nature, and I, I love a lot of the turns of phrases you have. And when you said at TEDx Baylor a couple of years ago, obviously it's one that you probably show to a lot of people or people look at when they're trying to bring you in. That time is our number one resource. With that being said, attention is our number one currency. And, and from that, you obviously seem to be somebody that is all about immersing oneself in the moment, being present, being right driven to that point of absolute attention. And that's really important in the game of basketball on the court, but obviously in a business sort of world. I suppose, it, how much of a big part is that of what you try to deliver and impact on everyone you see each and every day? Those kind of key themes. Oh, it's it's... Everything. It's the foundation of everything I believe, and it's certainly the foundation of everything I practice myself. Uh, so I'm working on a daily basis because I don't believe it's anything you can actually master, but I'm trying to work really hard to make sure that I'm as present as I can be, as consistently as I can be. Because I'm, I'm a big believer that the only way you can maximize your own performance in any area of your life is if you're fully present. And I also, despite knowing that, uh, I readily acknowledge that being present is one of the biggest challenges that I face every single day of my life. Uh, but yeah, any talk I give, any coaching I do, um, there's always going to be some tie to the ability to stay in the present moment. And what, give us kind of some cues or some little ideas that you use. I mean, there's a fellow called Ed Milate, and he sometimes clicks his fingers to get into that space. You hear guys from the kind of flow research collective world talk about how they avoid procrastination and distraction and so forth. Like Alan Stein, what, what do you do to say, 
get into that mindset, that present space that the two of us can use from this evening. Well, I, I don't know who originally said it, or I would give them proper credit, but I heard Oprah Winfrey and I heard Nick Saban, the head coach of uh, Alabama's football team, both of them use the phrase, yeah, both of them use the phrase, be where your feet are. And, and that's kind of my own self-trigger, my self-reminder, if you will, that anytime I find myself starting to fade or starting to think about something else or not being emotionally uh, or mentally present, that's kind of my trigger word that I say to myself is just, all right, be where your feet are, be where your feet are. You know, right now uh, I'm with you guys. Uh, my full attention is the conversation I'm having with you and delivering value to your audience and listeners. Uh, I'm not checking email right now. I'm not folding laundry. Uh, I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. Uh, you have my full attention because I believe that's what you deserve and that's what your audience deserves. And, and I want to do everything in my power to stay fully present. So part of it is creating a system that allows you to do that. So I, I don't have my email open right now. I, I don't have my phone with me where I could be looking at social media. Um, I don't have a pile of dirty laundry next to me that I know needs to be folded. Uh, I've tried to eliminate all of the noise and distractions so that I can give you my full attention because I do believe that's incredibly important. And I've learned that if I don't put those systems in place, if I have my phone with me right now, I'm going to be very tempted to check it. And even the, the temptation of checking it will take me out of the present moment, which means I'm not here to deliver for you guys. So a lot of it is, is creating systems that allow you to be more present than other times. You're kind of building really successful habits, kind of stacking those sort of behavioral characteristics on, upon themselves to keep you in that space. We really like that. That's something we talk about an awful lot with clients that we see each and every day is how can we incorporate simple tricks, um, triggers, hacks, however you want to call it, to, to keep in that space where you kind of, you're productive, you're efficient, you're empathetic, you're communicating, you're active, you're listening, all those sort of things. Absolutely. Brilliantly said. I'm glad David brought that up because it's something that's easy to do when you're in a, a comfortable situation. Do you have anything to tell the listeners that would be sort of a cue or a habit of something that they could do when they're in an uncomfortable situation to be more present. Sometimes it's easier to want to be away from that. Check your phone, do other things. Do you have anything to elaborate on that? No, you know, the, the main thing I, I talk about all the time, and I, I like the word uh, choice that you used, is discomfort. And I, I think many people uh, have a negative connotation of the word discomfort. And I guess it depends on the exact um, what context at which you're using it. But because I grew up in the basketball performance world, uh, I actually view discomfort as a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean I like being uncomfortable any more than the next person, but I view it as a prerequisite to growth or a prerequisite to what it is that I want to see changed. So even when I find myself in uncomfortable positions, uh, I know that it's going to lead to a more positive outcome. You know, if I'm having a, an uncomfortable conversation with a friend, I know that it's going to be something we'll resolve and we'll have a better friendship for it. Uh, if I'm if I'm doing lunges and I feel uncomfortable, you know, the uncomfortable sensation and burning in my thighs and my hips, uh, I know that doing a few extra lunges is going to make me stronger. So uh, I've learned to embrace discomfort. So while I don't necessarily enjoy it, um, I still try to be as present as possible, even in uncomfortable situations, because I know it's the sacrifice required to get where I want to go. Absolutely. Love that. Um, there's another thing I really, really like that you, you said as well, and it's something we touch on from time to time, but 
You're the one that can really speak volumes about it. There's a gap between what we do now, what we know and what we do, sorry. And you call it a performance gap, you know, and, and really, I suppose it's about narrowing that gap. But like, I love what you said about no matter if I didn't do anything moving forward now for a year, but if I just worked on everything I've learned and absorbed over the last year, I'd be really productive and really successful. I think it's fair to say a lot of us don't do that. I yeah. wish we did. Well, it's, I mean, it is amazing how humbling that is because I certainly am a huge believer in self and professional development. I mean, I'm constantly reading and watching videos and listening to podcasts and going to conferences. And I do want to continue to have new inputs into my life, but I also have the humility to acknowledge I've learned plenty of things over the years that I haven't yet implemented and I haven't yet acted upon. And that's what that performance gap is. It's anything that you know you're supposed to do that you don't do. Uh, I mean, we've, we've probably covered some of that just even in talking about being present. I mean, most people know when you're in a conversation with another human being that's standing there in person, they know they shouldn't be looking at their phone while they're talking to this other person, yet most people still do it. Um, the, the easiest example of a, of a performance gap is with health and fitness. You know, if I were to ask any random person on the street, whether they're in Ireland or they're here in Washington, D.C., and ask them to list healthy foods, they could come up with a pretty robust list. If I ask them how much sleep they're supposed to get every night, I guarantee they'd give me an answer in a, in a split second. And if I ask them just to kind of etch out, you know, what should a, a weekly workout program look like? You know, you don't have to design it to the level of an exercise physiologist, but generally speaking, how many times a week should you work out? What types of things should you do? How long should you go for? Uh, people would be able to do that in a heartbeat. And yet, statistically, when you look at most people, most people do not follow a healthy diet. Most people do not get adequate sleep. And most people do not exercise consistently. And that just shows that it's not from lack of knowledge. They know what they're supposed to do. They just don't do it. And you could look at any area of life. You know, some people have big performance gaps in their finances. You know, everyone in the world knows you're supposed to save money and put money away for your retirement or for a rainy day. And yet a lot of people don't do it. People know that you're not supposed to spend more than you make, that racking up credit card debt is probably not in your best interest for the future. And yet people do it every single day. So there's always going to be that gap. And for me, what I've always been fascinated by is while I'm continuing to learn and take in new stuff, I'm working even harder on trying to implement the stuff that I already know I'm supposed to do. Uh, so I'm constantly going back and reviewing notes or listening to things that I've listened to before because uh, that's, that's where the gold is. And as I said, and, and you did a great job summarizing it, I mean, it's a big piece of humble pie to admit that if I didn't learn anything for a full year, but all I did was execute the stuff that I already know, my performance and success would skyrocket. And that is pretty humbling. That means I've already got everything inside of me that I need, but I'm leaving a lot of it on the table. And I think that's a major step to improving performance is narrowing that gap between what we know and what we do. Very well, very well eloquently put, Alan. Just going back to it, me and David love the um, time is our number one resource because it's, we actually read something today on another great author, James Clear, who wrote, You're, most people nowadays are 90%, 93% richer than anyone before them. They're richer than any king or queen, every pharaoh, ruler, every CEO, and every celebrity of the past. And all of them would give anything for what we have, and that is today. So just in terms of time, and we're trying to educate people on how to maximize it, 
what sort of snippets do you give for business leaders and things like that to maximize the day-to-day? What little habits, what areas can they improve on to maximize their time in, in their work, in their life? The number one thing is to, to piggyback on what we talked about earlier about being in the present moment. Uh, I think we all need to make sure that we learn from the past, that we learn from both successes and missteps of the past, but we don't live there. Uh, we also need to be prepared for the future, but we don't live there either, that we have to try and stay as present as possible. And in order for you to maximize your day and maximize your calendar and to, to really maximize your energy output and time, you have to be in the present moment. And then if you keep, if you're in limbo constantly between being distracted by the past and being anxious about the future, then you're just in no man's land and you're not giving the present moment uh, everything that it deserves. And, and for me, you know, trying to take things day by day and, and we get these constant reminders all the time. I mean, the, the very sudden and tragic passing of Kobe Bryant is usually kind of an alarm and a flag to everyone that, you know, here's somebody in his early forties, you know, impeccable health, physical, mental, emotional, you know, had all the money in the world, everything going for him and his sand ran out and, and no one, in the, no one was expecting that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just a, a reminder for all of us not to live in fear that our time could run out, but just to remember, are we maximizing the present moment? Because we don't know how many more of these moments we'll have. And, you know, I'm 44 years old. Uh, I'm in good health. I'm in good spirits. I don't see any reason why I shouldn't live another 40 or 50 years on the planet, but I certainly know that that's not guaranteed. And I don't want to live my life as if I'm guaranteed the next 50 years, because then it'll really be sad when I I find out that I'm not. So I want to try to maximize every day to the best of my ability. And, you know, I, I know that it's cliche to say, live every day like it's your last, or if someone told you only had a week to live, what would you do? And I don't know that that's necessarily practical to actually implement, but there are certain portions of that that I think we we should always pay attention to. And for me, here's how I maximize my time. It's all about decision-making. So I'm 44 and I have this vision of the man I want to be when I'm 64. So in, in, if I could fast forward 20 years, uh, I want to be someone that is mentally, physically, and emotionally fit. Uh, I want to be someone that has a very deep and connected relationship with my children, my family, uh, my significant friends and business colleagues. Uh, I want to be someone that's doing what I consider to be meaningful work uh, that is serving other people, that's making other people better. So that's kind of the loose vision that I have for myself in 20 years. And what I do is I live every day and make every decision to be in alignment with that. Every decision I make, even down to what am I going to eat for lunch today, I just quickly ask myself, is this in alignment with who I want to be in 20 years? And if the answer is yes, then I do it. If the answer is no, then I try not to. And I I say try because I'm far from perfect and I'll certainly make plenty of decisions that are not in alignment with what I just described. But the goal is to be as consistent as possible. And if every night when I go to bed, I can look back on my day and go, you know what? almost every decision I made today was congruent with who I want to be in 20 years, then assuming I live 20 more years, I will be that man. Like nothing else will even be possible. I will become that person because I'll have made the decisions to do that. So that's what I use as my guide for day-to-day decisions. And that's how I aim to maximize my time. Brilliant. I love that, Alan. I suppose you've you've nearly answered a couple of the key questions (laughs) I wanted to ask you there, but there's a very well-known author called Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And oh, yeah. he, he says, start with the end in mind, you know, and 
Someone else that I'd look to quite a lot would be Holiday, Ryan Holiday, you know, stillness and ego. And he talks a lot about memento mori, you know, that it's, it's not something that's sad and morose and morbid. It's about actually, it's a philosophy, a stoic philosophy about embracing what's going on at that moment. And if that's family, if it's yourself, making sure everything you're doing is really important because the sand does run out at some point in time. You know, it ran out too too soon for, for Kobe, but, you know, hopefully you do have another 20, 25 years and hopefully the same for the two of us here. So that's a really big message, I think, for our listeners there to take from today. I think it's fair to say, Alan, we want to ask you after this really nice story thus far, what does high performance mean to you? High performance means to me doing the best that you're capable of with what you have where you are. So um, I know that for the most part, most people view high performance uh, through a comparative lens and they're able to say, okay, you know, Tom Brady is a high performer in the NFL because he outperforms everybody else in the NFL. Or, you know, when Kobe played, he was a high performer because he outperformed everyone else. And I do think that is part of it. Uh, I think we could all curate a pretty decent list of high performers um, that are the upper 1% of their specific industry or or craft. Uh, But I also realize that high performance is something within all of us, that everyone should aim to get to their highest performance in whatever they're trying to do, even if it doesn't make them world-class. You know, if, if, you know and, and if you work relentlessly during the unseen hours to work towards mastery of something and you get to be the best that you're capable of being, that's high performance. Now, when they line up everyone in the world, that might not put you on the, the top of the mountain, but you're still performing to the best level that you're capable of. And, and that's what I think everyone should be aiming for. Uh, it should be less about outcomes and playing the comparison game, but more about how can I improve my own performance? And, you know, for me, and especially in speaking, speaking so subjective, you know, my goal is to become the most influential and charismatic and polished speaker that I can be so that the stuff I share on stage is sticky and it's memorable and it's stuff that people feel empowered to put into action so that someone could actually go back and say, man, I heard this guy, Alan, speak a year ago. I started doing a few of the things he said, and now I've made great progress. Like, that's my goal. Um, Now, does that mean I'll be one of the top 10 speakers in the history of the world? Uh, No. And who cares? Like, that doesn't matter to me. Um, I don't care if, you know, I'm number 1000 on that list. As long as I'm performing to the level that I think I'm capable of and I'm, I'm making a difference in others, to me, that's high performance. We're nearly there, Alan. That was um, pretty special. <laughs> let's, let's roll back. I want you to nearly finish with a memory for us. It started off on the court, as it did for me, because I played basketball as well for many years. Um, share with us, before we go, a meaningful moment that you had on the, on the hard court before you got into this big thing that you're doing these days? Oh boy, I've, I've had so many. Um, you know, it's one of the cool parts when I look back on my journey. I mean, I've got a long list of players and teams I've had a, an opportunity to work with. Uh, and I'd certainly like to believe that, that I shared some things that they found helpful and I did some things to help raise their game. But almost every single one of them uh, shared and taught me probably every bit as much as I shared and taught them. That's one of the things I'm so thankful for. You know, I think a lot of people think that in a coach player relationship, that it's the coach always teaching the player, but any good coach will tell you they learn just as much from their players as they, they teach or they coach themselves. So, uh, it's almost too many to name. I've had so many cool experiences. Uh, one of the things that I just think is so much fun is, 
I mean, almost every relationship and experience I've had, places I visited, they've all been within a couple degrees of basketball. Like I, if I drop the breadcrumbs on how I meet certain people, uh, they're usually within a few degrees of something basketball related. So uh, the fact that I was never a super elite player, I was, you know, I was good enough to play in high school and good enough to play in college. But, you know, the fact that this game has been so good to me for basically my entire life and I wasn't even that elite of a player, uh, to me, is just, it's really, really special. And I'll, I'll forever be indebted to the game and I'll forever try and serve people that are also equally committed to the game. And where's the game going next? It's evolved so much in the last decade, in the last couple of years with players such as Giannis, um, Luka Doncic, LeBron, Kobe, all these sort of guys. What, what's happening to the game next? You know, Naismith's game from the peach basket. What's the next step? Boy, I don't know exactly what's next, but boy, you highlighted the major change and just how global it is. I mean, you just named three of the best players in the game and and two of them are foreign born, foreign born to the United States, of course, which is where the NBA is, um, which is just remarkable because 20 years ago, you wouldn't have said that. You would have said Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. And, you know, 20 years before that, you would have said Kareem and Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell. So the fact that the game is so global now um, is pretty amazing. And it's it's become such a big business. Uh, but not only that, just the impact it has on pop culture, you know. I mean, Kobe's passing didn't just affect the basketball world. It affected the entire world. I mean, there are tributes being paid to him uh, at the Oscars uh, and and on CNN. And, you know, so here's a guy who, who, you know, earned his stripes playing the game of basketball, but the impact that he made on the world far exceeded what he did in between the lines. And, and I think we'll just continue to see that. I think the game will continue to elevate. I do believe that the players playing today are the best players in the history of the game. Uh, and I don't say that as a knock on the Magics and Larrys and Michaels. Those guys would be just fine if they played today. But the overall level of the game is is just phenomenal. The, the things that guys like uh, Porzingis does and, and Giannis and LeBron, like we've just never seen this combination of size and skill and strength and athleticism. I mean, it is remarkable. It'll, it'll be pretty crazy to see what the game looks like 15, 20 years from now. And one thing that I, I know the game is in good hands because I do believe Adam Silver is a innovative leader. And I think he's very open to making whatever changes need to be made for the game to continue to grow and the game to continue to get better. So I, I think the NBA is in really great hands. Thanks for that. Alan, you know, two things we can control for sure. I'm, I'm robbing, robbing from you again, thankfully, effort and attitude. You've shown so much of that today. You've been, you've given us time all the way across the Atlantic. I'd like to ask one more request from you. Sure. The two of us, you sent, you sent a book. You've given us the time for this. If you could give us a life lesson that I can go home and share with my two-year-old son and my wife and Kiron can share with his girlfriend and family, what would the life lesson be from a man who has touched so many and impacted so many so far in such a young career still? The lesson would be that you should shoot for high performance in every area of your life. And the reason being high performance is directly correlated to your own confidence. When we perform at a higher level, we feel better about ourselves. And when we feel better about ourselves and our confidence goes up, so does our happiness and fulfillment. And for me, that's the end game. Like the filter that I run everything through is my own happiness and my own fulfillment. 
Uh, I do more of the things that make me happy and fulfilled, and I try to do less of the things that don't. I spend more time with the people that help me feel happy and fulfilled, and I try to avoid the people that don't. But these things are all uh, predicated on performance. And, you know, we perform in every area of our life. Uh, I perform as a speaker. I perform as a father. I perform as a business owner. I perform as someone that writes content for social. And the, the, the higher quality I can do those things and the higher level I can do those things, then again, it, it, it increases confidence and increases happiness. So work relentlessly on whatever it is that you want to be good, good at. And that could be professionally or personally. I mean, if, if you want to have a fulfilling marriage, then you need to put in work during the unseen hours to do the little things to have a fulfilling marriage or to be a supportive and, and connected parent uh, or to be good at your specific vocation. You have to pour into those things. And if you do uh, and you get, <coughs> excuse me, you get fulfillment out of that, then your happiness will increase as well. And I believe that's one of the biggest mistakes people make. They think when I'm successful, I will be happy. And it's actually the opposite of that. When you work on yourself and you become truly happy, then and only then do you have a chance to be successful. What a perfect way to finish. Fantastic. Thanks a million, Alan, from Kieran. And David, thank you very much for coming on to Sleepy Performer, Pete Alan Stein Jr. We really enjoyed it. And best of luck with all your ventures going forward. Keep sharing your messages and your wisdom, and we'll, we'll keep on following you. Most certainly will. I appreciate you both immensely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. <laughs>